time to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology Podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. We humans are funny creatures, aren't we? Have you noticed how we can actually torture ourselves just by thinking about things? I've done this experiment many times where I go in uh, as I'm speaking somewhere and try to explain that our thoughts are what create our feelings, and sometimes people don't really believe that. So I ask them to make themselves angry. Now, I do this very cautiously now because what I'm doing is basically creating a room full of angry people at the end of this, but I want to make a point. And so I'll ask for them to make themselves angry. And then I'll ask them how they did that. And without exception, they made themselves angry by thinking about something that made them angry. So then we'll do the same thing of making themselves happy. Now, this is a little harder to do that, but with some some coaxing, they'll focus on some things that make them feel happy. They'll think about some memories that make them feel happy and their mood will follow that. This is that innate human capacity to think and notice our thoughts And we can even focus on them, even recalling memories and kind of making meaning out of those memories and and finding ways as we want to, kind of at our will of creating that. Now, remember, when we're making memories, when we're thinking about those memories, we're thinking about our our side of that. It's not as if we have a moving uh, picture of that that's a perfect representation. We don't have a GoPro that's been recording all the events of our lives to play back in high definition for ourselves. And so really our memories are based in our thoughts about what happened, not in what really happened. And that's part of the problem. We have a dual-edged sword. We can create great works with our thoughts, and we can create great devastation with our thoughts, all from the same place. You see, our mind is just designed to do one thing. It's designed to create thoughts. Sometimes it creates great thoughts, sometimes not so great thoughts. And that's where we get focused on these pieces where the thoughts are what our mind is doing, and then we forget that our mind does that. Notice how everything begins, though, in thought. Everything that we create, everything that we do begins in a thought. If you decide to do a great work of art, it began in a thought. If you decide decide to to, to, to create a great architectural piece, it begins in a thought. If you decide to do damage to somebody else, it begins in a thought. A thought began the process of thinking about the world trade towers and building those. A thought began in the process of putting a plane into the World Trade Towers. One was a constructive, productive thought. The other was a destructive thought. But it all began in our thoughts. We have this capacity as humans of using these thoughts either to build great things, to become great things, to move in greater directions, or to be destructive. And many times, Our destruction is to ourselves as we begin to get stuck in those thoughts and lose ourselves to our thoughts. The mind is there only to create thoughts. Some are helpful, and I want to change that from the good thoughts, and some are not helpful, which is different than bad thoughts. You have helpful thoughts and not so helpful thoughts. And the question is whether you get focused on those not so helpful thoughts or if you follow those helpful thoughts. But there's another question that's even more important to that. And that is, are you aware that it's still a thought? 
The problem is not in the thinking process. The problem is in believing that the thought is reality. The problem is not that we think. It's that we forget that we think. Just for a moment, let's do a little experiment. If you take out a piece of paper and just draw a little dot on one side of the page and a line over across the page and a little dot, so you have a line with a dot on each end, and under the dot to the left, write thought as reality. And under the dot to the right, thought, thought, write thought recognition. In other words, you recognize that it's a thought, that a thought is just that, a thought. Now, we all function on that line somewhere. In the best moments, we function somewhere in the middle. When we have difficulties and struggles, when our energy is low, we will tend to slide towards that thought as a reality. In other words, if the thought's in our head, we believe it to be true. For example, I used to work uh, doing evaluations for people who were actively psychotic in a hospital, and this was their condition. They were all the way at the end. If something popped into their head, they believed it to be true. They began to hear voices and see things that weren't there, and many of us would be able to determine that's just our mind playing tricks on us, but for them it was real. On the very other end are those that every time something's going on, they know that the thought that's in their head is just a thought. They have full recognition that that thought is there. Now, I'm not reducing thoughts to irrelevant things. They are very important. As I said earlier, they allow us to create great things, but they can also get us into trouble. More trouble comes when we slide towards the end that believes whatever pops in our head is reality. The more we're able to understand that thought recognition, the higher we come out of that and we begin to realize that a thought is a thought. That's all it is. You can choose whether you're going to buy into the thought or whether you're going to understand that that thought is just going on. So how do we violate this law? And by the way, this law, to say it very clearly, is a thought is a thought. The first thing is that we believe our thoughts are reality. We all have those moments. You know, we Maybe we're driving down the road and, and we see somebody and we think, wow, they looked at us kind of funny. I wonder what they meant by that. I wonder why they're so upset with me. We build a case against them or, or maybe we're in the office and we overhear something and we add extra meanings to that and we assume they're talking about us when really they have nothing to do with us. Or maybe we hear something somewhere and we begin to spin out those thoughts. And as those thoughts begin to take on more and more power, they take over more and more of our energy until it becomes our reality. I know people who, no matter what's going on around them, believe that people are against them, that other people don't like them. And they talk to me about how such and such a person, I know they're angry with me, and I happen to recognize that's probably not the case. We had a neighbor years back that would complain to us that this person drove down the street and didn't wave at them. And they didn't know what they had done to offend them such a way that they wouldn't even wave at them. And for all they knew, they weren't even seen. But their reality began to be so overwhelming that the idea that it was just a thought was long lost for them. Whatever they were thinking was the reality. And that's the point of this law. A thought is just a thought. Sometimes, though, we make it into a reality and we get into trouble because of that. So we violate this law when we believe our thoughts are reality. And by the way, we all violate this law every single day. So the idea is, can we begin to pull back from that and understand more and more often that that thought is just a thought? 
Another way we violate this law is when we believe the thought we have is right and accurate, that it's exactly the way we remember it. Have you ever had those conversations where you and somebody else were at the same place at the same time and describing the same event and there's no way that both of what happens true? This is where we get into the fact that in law enforcement, they know that witnesses are very suspect. They believe what they think they saw. But what they perceived is not what happened. They've created it in their own thoughts. My older brother and I have had many conversations around the table at holidays where we're both describing the same event, but it's as if we are not describing the same event at all. We're not actually describing the same event. We're each describing how we felt about that event and what we believe to be true about that event. And that's the problem. We believe, when we're not more clear about it, that what we think about something is accurate about something, that our memories that we have are fully accurate. We don't see them as the figments of our thoughts. We don't see them as shapen by what we believe. When I was in grad school, a colleague of mine wrote his dissertation about how these memories affect our future. And the phrasing that he used is one line. I can't remember the rest of his dissertation, but he, he said that we create the past and remember the future. And what he meant is that we rebuild those memories in our mind to fit what we now understand about things. And so even if you're recalling something from childhood, you're now recalling it through a different lens then. You're you're bringing it through your own paradigm, your current paradigm, and understanding it through where you currently are, not even where you are then. So we create that past. And then we use that created past and push it into the future to try to predict what's going to happen. In both cases... We're violating this law that a thought is a thought because we're pretending that that thought is more than just a thought. Now, does it mean that there is no reality out there? Absolutely not. There is a reality. The problem is that our thoughts are perceptions of that reality, and we're always a little bit distant. For instance, if I'm standing in a room and there's a table in front of me, I can either say, why would anybody put that table here to block me? Or I could say, wow, it's so nice they put this table here so I can put my stuff on it. The reality, the objective reality, is that that table is there. Now, we can argue the uh, physics of that, of whether that's really the case, and especially if we get down to the nitty-gritty of that, of how much space there really is in that table, we can argue about the molecular structure and go to the subatomic particles and describe whether there really is a table there. But let's just agree that in the physical world that you and I share, the table is there. And the question is how we interpret why it's there and what purpose it's serving and whether it's getting in our way or helping us. Those are the thoughts that we create in our mind that weave our reality. If we're constantly thinking that everybody is against us, we will see plenty of evidence to that. If we're constantly thinking that everything's on our side, we'll also find evidence to that. And in either case, the thought is a thought, not reality, but a thought. There are more helpful thoughts. There are less helpful thoughts. And that's where we begin to grow this awareness. So how do we follow? How do we get back into abeyance of this law? The first thing is to work on an awareness of our thoughts. The aim is that in real time, we're aware of that thought going on. And I would say the aim is because we will constantly be working towards that. Many times I have to stop myself and say, wow, I'm letting my thoughts get away with me. 
I'm catastrophizing. I'm, I'm making a mountain out of a molehill. I'm creating a thought attack because I'm nursing this thought along and I've got to step away and recognize that a thought is a thought. And as soon as I get back to that continuum of thought as reality to thought as a thought, I regain a little bit of composure. I move a little bit towards that thought as a thought just by reminding myself of that. So this is building an awareness of the thinking that's going on. I remember years ago, I had a woman in my office and we were talking about these thoughts that were going on and she was a very anxious, very angry, very upset person. And I said, you know, you might want to pay attention to what's going on in, in your mind, how, how those thoughts are going on. And she said, I'm not thinking about anything. I'm just, I'm kind of living my day. I'm not really thinking. And I said, just, just pay attention during this week and let's talk about that next time. So she came in the next week and she said, I am so mad at you. And I said, oh, wh- wh- why are you mad at me? What did I do? And she said, I had no idea how loud it was in my head until you pointed it out. Now I can't get away from it. And I said, great, that's step one. Now you have an awareness of all the thoughts that are going through your head. Now you have a place to begin to work from once you have that awareness of a thought. So aim at understanding that the thoughts are going on in your head every single minute of every single day, and they are thoughts. The next thing to be aware of is the paradigm problem. This is the way we move back into it, is building an awareness of our paradigm problem. So what's the paradigm problem? Well, we all make shortcuts in the world. We all have shortcuts of understanding to help us deal with all the information that's coming our ways. We have pet ways of understanding how people behave and why people do what they do and how why we do what we do. And we have pet ways of understanding how the world operates and there's shortcuts. And those shortcuts are often... Uh, quick judgments based on some models that may have worked at one point, maybe never really worked, but we've built a paradigm around them. A paradigm is a way of understanding things. Paradigms exist for us to help us make shortcuts and they have their limits. And that's the paradigm problem. Every paradigm we have within us has a problem to it. it. It keeps us from seeing the reality of the rest of it. It puts blinders on us you'll notice how many times the roots of prejudice have been in the paradigms that we've held about certain groups in our world. That's a paradigm problem because we keep finding evidence to prove until suddenly the evidence is overwhelmingly against. The idea is that paradigms change in sudden shifts, that we hold on to a paradigm until it will no longer work for us, and then we have to shift to a new paradigm. And that shift is sudden and abrupt, and you can't go back to seeing things the old way. Think about it for your own life. The places where your thought patterns have changed. Maybe there's a book you read that suddenly changed how you see the world. Or maybe it was an experience. You go out of the country and suddenly see things from a completely different angle and a different understanding. And it it changes your whole thought process. And you understand that suddenly you were seeing things without full awareness back then. Now, what we always do is when we step into the new paradigm, we believe we're seeing things as they are. What we had before, that was a wrong paradigm. But now we're seeing things as they are, not recognizing that there's another paradigm shift just down the road when we're ready for it to see as something greater. And it's all based in our thought processes. Those thoughts are what weave our paradigm. That's our perception of those thoughts and how they weave into the world. And so as we have an awareness of this paradigm problem, we begin to have more of an awareness of how our thoughts create our interactions with the world, our perceptions of the world, of how we are in the world. Which brings us to practicing mindfulness. 
Practicing mindfulness is when we try to turn off those thoughts, to not listen to those thoughts. If you've ever practiced meditation, you know the the most difficult thing about meditation is discovering that you keep chasing after a thought. That's the way our mind does. A thought pops into our head and we chase it down. If you've ever tried to do a, a big project, you have the same thing that goes on. I remember when I was writing my dissertation and I just could not get it done. I had a professor who said, you know what you need to do? You need to go into the library, throw a bunch of glue in a seat and sit down and start writing. I said, yeah, but I've got things that pop into my head that I've got to do. He said, fine, write them down on a piece of paper beside you and set it aside and keep going back to the task at hand because it's your mind trying to pull you away from what's important. And so when we practice mindfulness, we're aware that our mind keeps doing that and we come back to being fully aware of the world around us, or at least more aware of the world around us. Try it in a conversation. You're having a conversation with somebody and you notice that all you're doing is waiting for them to pause so that you could respond. You're not fully aware of the conversation. You're not mindful of that conversation. You're simply waiting for your chance to put in your input, not listening to the other person. So listen to what they're saying and hear their tone and hear their words and what's behind those words. And that's a way of practicing mindfulness. When you're eating, to not have a paper or a device in front of you that distracts you from the taste and the texture of what's going on, then you become mindful of that experience. When you're walking to be aware of the ground underneath you and and the breeze on your face and all that's around you takes you to a mindfulness that breaks that hold of a thought. Now, let me be... Uh, very transparent and say that I have a very hard turning off my thinking mind. I try to direct that mind to, to positive things, to helpful things, to constructive things. And I know that my mind does over time. I recently returned from vacation. And during that vacation, what I was doing a lot of the time was thinking. But what I was trying to not do was to think in ways that pull me downward in a bad place, to allow the helpful thoughts to emerge and to grow and to chase those. But even that takes me out of the mindfulness of an experience. And so the other piece that I practice, for instance, when I'm paddleboarding, is to be fully engaged in the environment around me, to not be caught in my thoughts, but to be aware of the world around me that I'm floating on and the breeze on me and the paddle in my hand and the the hurt in my muscles from the effort and all of those other pieces that go into it to bring me away from my thoughts. Which brings us to the final way of following the law, and that is to practice mental hygiene. Mental hygiene is a term that we haven't used for almost a quarter of a century now. It it, it was popular in the 50s and 40s, and then it lost favor for other things. But mental hygiene is about attending to what you bring into your mind. What are you entertaining? What, What movies are you watching that bring bad thoughts in? What maybe news that you're watching that brings bad thoughts in, because there's another part of our mind that we forget. Our mind is partly very primitive. And so what our mind sees, what we're watching, our mind perceives to be true. And so if you are engaging yourself and watching a lot of the violence on TV, your body believes that to be true because your mind is telling it that's the case. And so part of mental hygiene is being aware of what we're bringing into our mind what we choose to focus on, what we choose to fixate on. Practice good mental hygiene of deciding you're not going to go there sometimes. I love that phrase. You know, some, some thought is torturing you and just to decide, I'm not going there. I'm not going to chase that down. I'm not going to get wrapped up in that. I'm going to let that go. 
I believe that our mind is designed to be self-cleansing, that our brain, our mind is designed to have thoughts come in and we decide whether to chase them down or whether to let them go. That's mental hygiene, to be aware of what's coming into our body and be aware of or, or our mind and letting those pieces go when they're not helpful. I often tell people to imagine that that thought that they're stuck on being kind of like a leaf falling down and washing down the stream, and you can watch it go. If the mind keeps hold of a thought, then you can imagine a stop sign and you can mentally, you don't have to say it out loud, but mentally yell at yourself, stop and see if you can take yourself away from the fixation on that thought or distract yourself, find a puzzle or something that engages your mind enough to break that train of thought. I love these phrases we've come up with, a train of thought, as if it's, you know, it's kind of click clacking down, tra- down the track and you're pulling out all of this uh, baggage back behind you. That's the train of thought that's going on and it goes on and on until you decide to derail it. The same is true with the idea of entertaining a thought. You know, you're entertaining it as if you're giving energy to that very thought and you get to choose whether you continue that entertaining or whether you decide to cut off the energy. But the first step in that is being aware that a thought is just a thought. It can be a great thing, a great tool, or it can be a destructive tool. And the choice is yours. You start, though, with understanding a thought is just a thought and move from there. If this has been helpful, this is one of those laws that has made a difference for you. I would love it if you would help me share this. Easy way to do it is to go just below and share. If you're on my website, Thrivology.com, you can share it with uh, the different social media sharing sites, Facebook and Twitter and uh, Google Plus and all the other places just below. Just click the one that you love and share it there. Or if you're away from uh, your uh, browser and or you're away from the computer on my website, you can just end your phone in your phone's browser or just type in thrivology.com slash love. That's thrivology, T-H-R-I-V-E-O-L-O-G-Y.com slash love. And it will create a self-populated tweet that you can send out very easily if you do Twitter. If you're listening by iPhone, I would love it if you would leave a review in iTunes. If you're on Stitcher, leave a review there so people can find it, the breadcrumbs that bring people to good stuff. And finally, if you found this to be helpful, Consider being a patron of us. Consider being a sponsor of Thrivology and the Thrivology podcast. If you're on the website, you can find that by going just right beside uh, the, the posting and you'll find a link to Patreon. You can click that and just say, hey, I want to give a dollar per episode or two dollars per episode or whatever makes sense to you that you want to give back so that you support the good stuff that we try to do with the Thrivology podcast. That would be helpful for us. And I think it would also, you would find it engages you in a different way. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you build your thriving life. Listening to the Thrivology Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at Thrivology.com or at Thrivologymagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T-H-R-I-V-E-O-L-O-G-Y. It's your life. Time to live it. 